So in Revelation 22, um, we, we kind of went through last week, beginning at verse number 6. Um, these words that the angel is giving to John at the close out of the book. And I'm, I'm going to kind of put them into my own words. I mean, when you read it, verse 6 says, He said to me, the angel says to John, These words are trustworthy and true. Uh, the Lord, the God of the spirits, the, the Holy Spirit specifically, has sent his angel to show his servants uh, what must soon take, take place. Okay, um, a, a couple of things that we pulled out of that. The, the first one, I think the most important one, if I put this into my own words, is as, as we read the Revelation, you really get a clear picture not only of why, why things are happening in our world the way that they are, but a clear picture of where we're going. Um, just, just know that as you and I as Christians, as you start to talk to other people about, uh, about what's going on in our world and, and where we're going, we should not expect a lot of people in our world to just embrace us and say, oh, that's wonderful news. You know, when I talk to somebody, do you, do you think there's going to be a new earth? Most people just kind of look at you like, what? A new earth? What are you talking about? We're not talking about, can you imagine a day in, a, in your life when your, your body is capable of walking through a wall? But what is this? A science fiction. You're, what, what have you been? Have you been chewing on that medicinal stuff? What, I mean, what's going on with you? You're, you're talking like this. Can you imagine a day in your life when you, you'll never, you won't sleep? There is no day and there is no night. In fact, time as we experience it as human beings has gone. And people will, people will listen to you and think you are out of your mind, right? And so the, the significance at the very end of the book of the angel saying to John, John, these words are trustworthy and true, is to say you can stake your life upon them, all right? Um, they give you the right picture of how to live today because... What the revelation does for you is it's like putting a key in a lock and unlocking this chain that binds us to the stuff of this world by letting us rec recognize and realize I'm not going to be here very long. I'm not. Whether it's the pain that I have in my body uh, or in my relationships or, or, or it's just the, you know, the effect of, of, of work that can just leave you, ah, uh, God is saying, right, because it's broken. It's all broken. But where I'm taking you is to a place where we will have intimacy that will endure forever. And it changes things. It makes me see things differently. The things that the world is telling me, this is so important, and this is so important, and this is so important. I'm like, you know what? None of it is. Not a, not a lick of it. The stuff you're telling me is important is not. Here's what's important, Right? So when we wake up in the morning and our alarm clock goes off in our head and we're like, oh, my to-do list and I got all these things to do and I don't have time to spend a moment with God. That's what the world tells you. Get with it. Get going. I'm like, no, no, no. The most important thing I can do today is to spend that time with Him. Right? So I think the revelation does. It kind of unchange you from the thinking and the stuff of this world that just controls uh, our lives. And it is such that you can stake your life upon it. Uh, who's it for? Well, we said this last week. It's for the servants of Jesus Christ. 
I am showing you these things, and I'm giving them to the servants of God. Okay, I, I love that word because it, it really gets into what it means to live out the revelation in our lives. Remember last week we pulled that word apart, and I reminded you that the term, the term for servants is, is the term latreuo, from which we get our English word latrine, right? And last week, yeah, last week we talked about this. If, I, if you were in the army and I said to you, good news for you today, you get latrine duty. You'd be like, oh, uh -uh, I'm trading with someone, you know. I, I don't want latrine duty. Well, guess what? The word for servant is latreuo. And what it paints a picture for me of, at least, is the reality that uh, to serve God, to follow God, does not mean, uh, boy, we're going we're gonna to be, you know, th this is going to be easy stuff. It's going to be just, it's fun stuff. Uh, when, when the church paints a picture for people of, hey, following Jesus Christ is about, you know, comfort and, you know, prosperity for you. I'm like, where are you getting that? That is not, not what the book says. It's just things like you're going to take up a cross to follow Jesus Christ. It's the call of Abraham where, where a God is saying to him, I want you to leave behind the familiar and, and follow after me. And then, and then I want you to live in a way where you, you have no map. Your GPS is the Spirit of God and you'll follow him. This is not easy stuff. Okay? Um, you know, this picture popped in my mind last week, Latre Ugo. Um, had a had a, uh, uh, a situation a number of years ago where we we kind of got connected by the Spirit of God to a, to a woman who was a, a meth addict. And if you've ever worked with meth addicts before, you you know that their life is a latrine. It's a mess. And this gal, her life was a total train wreck. Uh, and not only her life, but she had managed through her addiction to just make a mess of her whole family. Uh, when I met her parents, her parents said, oh, we don't want nothing to do with her. Nothing. She's robbed us. She's stolen thousands of dollars. She lies to us. We don't want anything to do with her. Okay? Just dump her off. Well, that's what the world did. They dumped her off. And so when, when we started working with this lady, what I knew in my mind was, uh, this is not going to be very easy stuff. This is hard stuff. Because the process of leading someone who is fighting their way through an addiction, it's, it's you're going to, it's messy. It's just messy. So I remember getting on the phone, I called this gal up because I wanted her, it was a she, so I wanted her paired up with a person from the congregation that was a, a female. And I'll never forget the conversation. I'm like, well, I'm going to ask you to do something that is probably harder than um, staying up all night with a youth at a, you know, at a, at a, at a youth rally. She's like, what, what do you want me to do? I'm like, I want you to serve a woman who her life is a mess. And this gal says to me, well, what does that mean? I said, well, it probably means that you're going to you're going to find someone who will want to take advantage of you. You're going to find someone who will be up at 
two or three or four in the morning calling you. Uh, you're going to find someone who at times will end up in jail, whose life, the words that come out of their mouth are not clean. Um, they're a mess. It'll cost you money. It'll cost you a lot of time. It'll, it'll cost you. Would you like to do that? Sounds like a good deal, right? It's kind of like serving at the district office. How would you, how would you like to serve at the district office? Yeah, oh, awesome. Yes, that'd be awesome. Thank you. That's, that's what God calls us to. This lady says, I'm not qualified for that. I said, nor am I. No one is. The only thing that will get you through this is, and I knew this about her, I said, you are a prayer warrior. And that will get you through it. And she said yes. You know how long she walked with that lady? Two years. Two years of crap. And, um, and spilling out her own money and staying up late at night and picking her up from jail and not giving up on her when you, everybody wants to give up on her until the day came and this woman broke and said, I'm, I'm ready to, to get help. Two years. And I think about that. That's, that's what the revelation is about. It's not, not to say, hey, guess what? We're, we're going to the, the promised land. It's, it's, it, we are. But it's, before you get to the promised land, here's how. Here's how it's going to be. The world will mock you. They'll laugh at you. They'll say, you really think this stuff is real? You'll be like, absolutely. In fact, so real. I stake my life upon it. And guess who the revelation is written for? People who are willing to sign up for latrine duty the servants of Jesus Christ. And it's what, I think it's what God calls us to and uh, what it means to, to live it out. Pick up these next words because you really hear it here. And I'm going to take you over in the New Testament to, to um, um, kind of a cross-reference. Verse 7 says, Behold, behold I'm, I'm coming soon. It's the second time we hear that. That Greek word is taku. I'm going to come quickly. Um, and, and, and prior to my coming, hear these words, blessed is the one who will terao the words of the prophecy of this book. And I'm kind of underscoring this, this Greek word here, translated in your, your Bibles with the word keeps. Blessed is the one who terao keeps this word of God. And, and I think about it this way. I think, you know, as we hear this revelation, this call uh, in, a, in a time such as we're in today, knowing what it's going to mean, yeah, it does mean we're going to be mocked and we're going to take it on the chin. Um, there's a lot of people who will hear the word but not act on it, right? It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, but I, I heard... Heard a lot of, uh, that was a great word. I, that was a beautiful word, God. We don't do anything with it, right? So I, I like the sense that this angel is saying to, to John, here's what I want people until I return to hear is the there's actually blessing that comes out of signing up for latrine duty. <coughs> there's a blessing that comes out of it. 
And that blessing is not what the world tells you, and it's not what, what a lot of churches will tell you. You know, you sign up for, for, for Jesus' time, and you know you're going to make more money and have a bigger house. No, no. The blessing comes out of what it means to give my life away, only to discover that in the giving away of my life, there, there, is, there is meaning. There is hope. There is joy, right? Uh, St. Paul, I'm going to show you a little cross-reference here, um, kind of hits upon this in, in the book of Philippians. Flip over to, flip over to Philippians 3 and um, kind of listen to, to Paul's words here. You know, Paul's writing to this, this church in Philippi as a prisoner, right? So Paul knows what the cost is. Um, he's laid down his life for this thing. And yet all the way till the end of his life, Paul, as, as kind of this prisoner on latrine duty, is this guy who constantly points to what it means to find joy in Jesus Christ. If I asked you to find the book in the New Testament that kind of re represents what it means to have joy, it's the book of Philippians, right? Uh, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, right? It, it's the joy book, okay? But what kind of joy? Not, not worldly joy, not, oh, look, I got a great present for Christmas. Not that, but what I call covenantal joy, meaning that Paul's able to find a sense of joy in the midst of all the yuck that's going on in his life. Beginning verse number 12, some of my favorite part words in, in, in this, uh, this book kind of grab hold of what we're talking about of this, hear it and keep it. Hear the word of God, but now put it to work in your life. Paul says um, in verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained not that I've already obtained this, all right? Uh, he has not yet obtained the resurrection from the dead, but he knows that that's to come. Um, and not that I'm already perfect. No, I'm not. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love those words. I mean, just let them roll around in your mind for a little bit. I, I press on, I press on to make, to make him... Make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. There's, a, there's an activeness there, right? There's not just a, hey, I went to church and I heard something. There's a pushing, a sense of my, my goal in life is to end up where God has called me to. Verse 13 says, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind straining forward to what lie ahead. That's a good way to live. Forget what lie behind. Stuff of this world, check it off. Strain towards what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. You know, typically when I'm talking to Christians, you, you, you'll get a sense of the difference between a mature, growing Christian and somebody who's, who's, who is not mature. The, the, the word is more superficial in their life. Because a mature Christian really is a person, they've got a, a clear sense of, no, this is what my life is about. And, and in fact, it's the goal of my life. It's what I push towards, the things of Jesus Christ. 
So he says, let us think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you so that also you will think this way. Now, notice verse 16 kind of repeats what we're hearing in the Revelation. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Hold it true. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. By the way, is he bragging when he says that? Imitate me? No, it's not brag, right? What is he saying? He's writing to a group of people. Remember in Philippi, they're see, they, see, they see Paul imprisoned, and is, is, that, is that what this thing means, following Jesus? He goes, yes, it is. Join in imitating me. Give your life away. Don't be afraid of what the world can do to you. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Expect it. And by the way, a lot of these enemies are so subtle, aren't they? They, they are subtle. They're, they're, um, they're a textbook that our kid gets in college or in high school. And they come home and they, they're, they're sitting in front of you and they, they start telling you, hey, I read, guess what I read about today? I read about this uh, uh, transsexualism. Transsexualism. Hmm. I, you're like, whoa, 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 where did you get that word? From this book. It's a good thing, Mom, Dad. Really? Subtle. Uh, it's, it comes into our homes on a regular basis, and there are enemies of the cross. And what, what Paul is saying is um, there will be an end to them, and it will be destruction. But until that time, remember, remember whose and who you are. I like verse 19. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory, their shame, with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So right there in Philippians is a Paul who's really underscoring what we're writing here is, you know, hold these words true. Know that they're going to come under attack by the enemies of the cross. Know that it's not going to be easy. It wasn't for me, Paul says. I, was, I ended up in prison, beaten. Um, but at the same time, I found the greatest joy that you can possibly find by giving my life away. Hold on to them. Bless it. Blessed, you'll find blessing in it, is the one who, tera, who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse number 8, come back over to the Revelation. John is closing this out. He says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. I, I, I remember when we started the Revelation, I used a, a term that is sometimes misused in Christianity, that the term is ecstasy. Okay, and um, when, you, when you look at the Bible, there's various ways in which God communicates to people. Uh, we know Joseph. We say, well, God communicated to him through what? Through dreams, right? Um, we know that prophets, prophets would, re would receive a word from God that allowed them to 
to, to look ahead at something that their earthly mind couldn't possibly know was going to happen and clearly proclaim it. You know, when Isaiah or Jeremiah are speaking into the people of, of Israel, what are they saying? Israel is going to fall. You know, what Pastor Carl preaches on this morning was Zedekiah takes you back to, by the way, this is kind of fascinating. Uh, I, I got to remember to tell Carl this. Um, do you know what day the temple fell at the hands of the, the uh, general of Nebuchadnezzar? Do you know what day it was? This is interesting. What's today? What is today's date? It was August the 14th, 586, that the temple fell. I thought, it's kind of cool that we got a text for the sermon that is exactly the same day. About 1,400 years later, here we are. And Isaiah was standing there saying to the people, it's going to happen. The temple is going to fall. Everybody in Israel said, no way. It's no, no way can the temple, this, this is God's temple. Solomon built this. It will not fall. Bam. How does the prophet know that? How, how did you get Genesis? Who wrote it, by the way? Genesis, do we think? What we say? Was he there when the world was created? No. So we, how does he know? How does he know? Inspiration, right? This is given to him. And then you get this word ecstasy. And an ecstasy is a way in which God is speaking to someone, showing someone something that they, they cannot know with their human mind, but he's showing it to them almost like you're watching a movie, right? You feel like you're out of your body, and you are literally seeing and experiencing the things that are happening to you. And that's what John is saying here, is I, John, am telling you, churches, as you read this letter, that I heard and saw everything that I wrote down. Okay, and he does he does uh, he does that through God speaks into him through an ecstatic vision. He says, "When I heard and saw them, and we've seen this before in the Revelation, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me." But he said, "No, no, I'm I'm a fellow latrine duty person, right? <laughs> uh, me as an angel, I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets." And with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. That's what this book is about. In a subtle way, do you know what John is saying? I mean, John, John's highly revered. When, when the revelation is written, he's at the end of his life. He's old John. Everybody knows him. All, all people know him because he's the last surviving apostle. He's the last representative on planet Earth of those who lived and walked and knew Jesus Christ. So as he's getting ready to die, and the revelation comes to the church, and, and they, the, the scroll is broken, and, and, and the pastor of the church begins to read you know, this, this word uh, to, the, to the regional churches, John is revered. In a subtle way, John is saying, just like I, I wanted to fall down and worship at the feet of these angels that showed me this revelation, there's a sense in which people might take this scroll, open it up and go, oh, these are the words of John. John said, no, they're not my words. This is God's words. I'm, just, I'm no different than you. I'm just a fellow servant of God. And just like the angels said to me, don't worship me, worship God. That's what I'm telling you to do. Don't take this as John's word. Take this as the word of God spoken to you. Verse number 10 is interesting, and I'm going to do a cross-reference Old Testament-wise. 
because I want you to see it. I want you to see a distinction here. He said to me, the angel now says to John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Okay? Remember last week, we took that word time, and I gave you a Greek word that goes with it. And remember the word that we used was the term kairos. And I wanted to make a distinction there that most of us on a daily basis are functioning under chronological time, right? Chronos. What does my watch say? What time is it? That's why I got a text from Ann this morning. He says, well, I fell back to sleep. I don't see her back over there. <laughs> but she had good reason. She's been working on this. By the way, if you haven't seen the nursery, it's pretty awesome. She's been working on that thing for a couple of weeks. So she's, her, her ankles are all swollen up. So we're going to give her a bye today, right? You get one a year. <laughs> one a year. So, so she's got it now. Anyway, Kronos time is always pulling on us. It's what Stephen Covey says. It's the, tyr it's the tyranny of the urgent that, that calls us away. And, and God says, yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't really live under Kronos. I live under Kairos. I live under Kairos. I, I set a time for everything. There is a time for everything under the sun. I set those times. And that's what he's saying is the Kairos time is near. That's why when people read the Revelation, they say, well, how can Jesus say, I'm coming quickly? I mean, these, wor these words are thousand plus year. No, that isn't quick. I'm like, well, it's not chronological time. It's Kairos time. And it is, it is actually very near. And so um, that's what he's saying. The time is near. Don't seal up the words of this book. Why would he say that, by the way? If we go to the Old Testament, okay, New Testament, you have John, the Revelation. If we go back into the Old Testament, who's kind of the Old Testament John? Who gets, who gets the, the, the revelation before John gets the revelation? It's Daniel, right? And Daniel becomes a prophet in his time to, to again, that body of people who, who are undergoing um, exile. And when you look at, look at the words of Daniel, you, you really see that in a very similar way God was saying in the Old Testament already, here's what's going to come, okay? Just, just, just so you get this, flip over to Daniel chapter 7 and look at these words. Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to take you, let, let, me, let me bump you forward a little bit. I'm going to take you all the way over to, because this will take us less time. Go over to Daniel 8, beginning verse 15. All right, seven and forward, you're getting, you're getting the vision and, and Daniel is seeing all these things that he's trying to figure out and, and now the, the revelation to him ends. And in verse 15, kind of notice what he says. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, when I had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. It's no different than John. John 
throughout most of the revelation he doesn't he doesn't understand what he's seeing and an angel has to tell him right so verse 7 it says so he came near where i stood and when he came i was frightened i fell on my face it's pretty similar to revelation right but he said to me understand o son of man that the vision is for the time of the end and when he had spoken to me i fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground he touched me and made me stand up and said, Behold, I'll make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. And now the angel begins to unpack part of what he's seen. You saw a ram with two horns. These are the kings of Media and Persia. Where is Daniel living when he hears these words? Babylon. Who is it that will smash Babylon to pieces? The Persians and the Medes. Okay. He's seen that. Oh, and the goat that you see, he is the king of Greece. As the great horn between his eyes is the first king. Who is it that smashed the Medes and the Persians? Alexander the Great. Greeks. Okay. Verse 22, As for the horn that was broken in place, of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. When you looked at Rome, you called it the city of four hills. And, in fact, you get this succession of emperors who rise up and overcome the Greeks. Verse 23, and that the latter end of their kingdom when the transgressors have reached their limit. It's kind of interesting. People are like, how bad can it get on planet Earth? I mean, can it, get, can it actually get worse than Trump and Hillary? I mean, can it get worse than that? Well, the good news is the transgressors have a limit. God says, I, I, you know, no, I have a limit. A king of a bold face, one who understands riddles, he shall arise. His power will be great, but not by his own power. He shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and people who are their saints by his coming. He will make deceit prosper under his hand, and without his own mind he will become great, without warning. He will even rise up against the prince of princes. He will be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. Now notice these next words. What, is, what does God tell? What does the angel tell Daniel to do? But seal up the vision. For it refers to many days from now. One of the questions that, you know, you'll see commentators asking is, you know, Daniel doesn't necessarily know through his ecstatic vision the names of people who will come. But he's able to see all the way to the very end, what is getting ready to happen. A lot of commentators raise that up. Did Daniel know at the time of his death what, what would come ahead of him? And I think, yes, he does. But what does God say to him? Seal it up now. This is not for this time. I'm giving this to you that you'll know what is, what is coming because Daniel would play a, play a significant role in bringing hope to the people of Israel in a very dark time. But seal it up, because the time is coming when I'll release these words to the church. And now, under John, comes the opposite 
request. Do not seal it up. Now is the time, now is the Kairos time to present these words to the church. Now, we can listen to that this morning, but here, here's why I think that's just so significant to us. Acts 17. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to me. You've heard me say it before. Acts 17 tells us that God determines our times and places. God does. What that means is He determined, God determined, to set you here on planet Earth to be His church in one of the most critical times in all of history. Now let me ask you this question. If you're, if you're in a war and you're, you're kind of standing up above it and you're looking at all the different battles that are going on and you circle this one thing and you're like, you know what, this battle right here, you know, what ha whatever happens here is going to make the difference to the outcome of the war. Okay? Do the soldiers then, do they pay attention to that? Do they go, oh yeah, well, we'll try to get ready for that battle. No, they're like, you know what, we're going to pour everything into that. Okay? You go back and you study history. And it doesn't matter if it's the Battle of the Bulge or the Alamo. You've got people that are like, you know what? We, we, we die tonight here. This is where we stake it. Okay? Here's what I'm saying to you. The revelation is given to who? The fellow servants of Jesus Christ, to the churches. When? In the most critical time in all of history. If we could circle it on a map, we would say, okay, we're coming to the we're coming close to the half a time. So let me ask you this question. What should the church be doing in the most critical time in all of history? Warfare. Engage. Okay. Now let me ask you this question. What actually is the church doing? So much of the church world is what? Like it's a cruise ship. Not a battleship, a cruise ship. Come on aboard. We'll all be happy together. Sing some songs. We'll have a good time. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is, this is battle time. And that's, that's the significance of Revelation. It's meant to say, hear these words. Keep these words. Engage in the battle. Will it be simple? No. Will it cost you? Yes. But this is that time in history that God has placed us here now. Don't seal up these words. Let them be heard and felt amongst the people. You know, I'm going to close out this way. When we, you know, when we, uh, we're, getting, we're getting ready this fall, we're going to start a kind of an outreach into these two mobile home parks. And one, and one of them, we're going to start going every week. And um, I, I guess you're getting to know me after not quite two years. But when, when we say that, um, my hope is that when we say, okay, look, we need some people who are willing to, to at least go out. You have to go out every you have to go out every week, but you know, would you be willing to go out, you know, once a month or you know, once every other month and spend time with kids, get to know their names? Because listen, they don't they don't know who Jesus Christ is. My hope is that we as the church don't say, Yeah, let someone else do it. That's a pain in the neck. And I have to give up my time to do that? No. My hope is that we're getting this stuff into us enough that we're able to say, if that's where God is calling us to engage, then by golly goes, let's engage all out. Because that's what God calls us to. All out. Engagement. That's how the revelation reads.